Jesus Christ. <laughs> I am tired. Good Lord. I got up super early today and uh, I had a bunch of stuff to do because my kid was a little bit sick. She's all right. She's fine. She's standard kid stuff. Then I, I've got a video for you guys tomorrow that I'm looking forward for, for you to see. And then I went to the gym and just fucking balled out there hard as nails. Uh, and I just got back from there and I am struggling, struggling. I mean, I'm fine. I'm fine, but I'm tired. Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, man, you get to your forties and then you go to the gym and you don't eat beforehand. You're like, Oh, that doesn't matter. I've done that a million times. Have you done it at age 44? Cause then you haven't really done it. Try it at age 44 and see how that goes. Anyway, how are you doing, everyone? My name is Luke Thomas. This is episode 190 of my live chat. You don't give a fuck about any of that stuff, but uh, it's what's on my mind. So how are you doing? Thank you so much for joining me. As you know, we did one of these on Monday. Folks were asking, Luke, why wasn't that uploaded to the podcast feed? Because it wasn't really a traditional live chat that we do. This is, this will be uploaded to the podcast feed. Make no mistake, have no worries. It will be there, but I didn't want to do Mondays that way. If you guys really want to, I guess I can do that, but I prefer not to. I prefer to make the kind of extraneous stuff that I'm doing, sort of strictly YouTube content, and then keep these live chat series, make those the ones that are available via podcast. So I don't know how you feel about that. But anyway, thumbs up on the video. Hit subscribe if you haven't. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, if you want, you can become a member, and then you get to ask a question for free. I really appreciate that as well. What do we have going on today? Boy, big news, right? Uh, some Volk Tapuria stuff. Some of these Volk revelations are unbelievable. Um, there's some Conor McGregor stuff. They don't want him to compete to the fall. What the hell is that? That doesn't seem very great. So we can get to that or whatever is on your mind. There, of course, are UFC fights this weekend. There's the Super Bowl on Sunday for anybody who cares. I don't know how many MMA fans watch football, but uh, I'll be having some folks over for the big game. I don't really care about either team, but it should be a good game. Uh, anyway, whatever's on your mind, you guys let me know. I appreciate it just the same. So uh, subscribing is free. Uh, we'll do an hour of free questions or so, and then we'll get to all of your other ones there at the end. And uh, yeah, that'll be that. So thank you guys for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. And you know how this goes. Let's get this party started. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's turn this off. But uh, just the same, we can we can have a little fun. All right. So thank you for joining me on this 8th. Man, it's already the 8th of February. I cannot believe how fast everything is moving. But uh, here we are. And uh, yeah, man. Yeah, man. Today I did five sets of six reps with a pause at the bottom on incline bench. Then I did five sets of six reps of dumbbell rows with a pause at the end. Uh, and I got to tell you, like, if you're going to do six reps on five sets, like, you've got to go heavy. Like, you're at RP, like, the last, you should be struggling on the weight. Like, I mean, you should be able to hit the reps, but you should be struggling on the weight. And, uh, boy, I got to tell you, after 10 sets of that, I was, <laughs> I was demolished. I was demolished. That shit was hard. That was very, very difficult, but uh, I did it. I finished it. I got it done. Your boy got it done, but good Lord, man. Also, let me just sort of a PSA to everyone out there. I don't know if your gym has turf or an area where you're able to drag a sled, but if your gym does have one of those areas where you can drag a sled, please get the fuck out of the way of the sled traffic. You don't have to do... 
your camera setups and your booty blasting fucking quarter squatting right there. It's not just them. It's all the dudes too, who don't know how to fucking uh, snatch a kettlebell. All these motherfuckers do it outside of the lane, right? Where you can drag a sled. There's only so many places you can drag a sled. You can do your horrible kettlebell snatches or your booty blasting quarter squats, not necessarily in the direct path. Also PSA, Boys and girls, if you're doing shrugs, right, I'm going to get them shrugs going, you don't have to do it with your ball sack right on top of the weights so that no one can get the weights around you. Grab the weights and take two steps back and then do your shrugs. That way other people can access um, the dumbbells should they need them. I'm just here to provide folks like you good help. That's what I do. Um you could, that's some free game for you. You can take that one to the bank. They'll be like, this is as good as cash. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. All right, let's do this. But seriously, it drives me fucking nuts when people lay down their mats and then they're doing these quarter squats right in the path of the only place I can drag a sled. Get the fuck out of the way. Thank you. All right. Let's get going here. All right, let's refresh this. And then let's get it going. Okay. Let's do it this way. Very good. Uh, okay, the small eulogy you gave to Carl Weathers, this was from Monday's live chat, was so good. Oh, thank you very much. It's very nice of you. Always loved him and his small role in Arrested Development was one of my all-time favorite comedy guest roles. I've never seen Arrested Development, so... I am out of the loop on that, but I've never seen anything that Carl Weathers was in where I thought he sucked. Grief Karga for The Mandalorian was not a big role. It, it wasn't, they didn't let him do necessarily a lot. But when they did, <laughs> he, he dominated. I mean, that's really, I mean, he was as good as the, as, as, as Hollywood basically let him be project to project. He maximized every role I, I kind of felt like. Carl Weathers was the fucking man. Anyway, if you guys didn't see it, uh, I gave up sort of a smaller... The basic explanation that I had on Monday is that they had to write in scenarios like when he clasps hands... I'm doing a gable grip, but when they clasps hands with Arnold Schwarzenegger as as Dylan and Dutch in Predator, they had to write that Dylan, you know, couldn't take it. But in real life, like, he was every... I mean, I'm not saying it was Schwarzenegger's bodybuilding equal, but, you know, he was he was in many ways as equal and then, then some. And then, you know, dude, Apollo Creed... And the, and the energy and machismo he brought to the screen was only limited by how he was written, not by who Carl Weathers made the character be. He could be as big as he as 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 he wanted it. He had that kind of power and prestige, and he was he was he was incredible, man. He was an incredible guy, and dude, just a hell of a career. Good lord, what a career that guy had. Uh, okay, let's see here. Look, I know you've mentioned that you felt Aspinall is a terrible matchup for Pereira. Yeah. I personally agree with Tom's hand speed and ground skills mixed with his natural size advantage makes him a terrible matchup. But I want to know how you would favor a fight for Pereira versus another heavyweight not so well-rounded, maybe Gone, for example. That's an interesting one. Um, You have to wonder about the ability of Gone to stick and move, but I wonder about his ability to withstand leg kicks if he was trying to jab his way around. So, I mean, listen, honestly, any... I'll say it this way. 
Pereira's chances against any heavyweight who either can't or won't take him down is probably pretty good, right? I mean, just realistically speaking, you're talking about a guy who was a double glory champ, a guy who's now been a two-weight world-class, or two-weight world champion in, in, in UFC, which granted, you know, there, there are some asterisks to this kind of achievement. But nonetheless, like, he, this is a highly skilled guy. Um, any heavyweight who's not going to take him down is probably in for a tough fight. I'm not saying he'll win or lose all of those, but he would probably be competitive with any of them in terms of a pure striking contest if that's the way they went. The thing is, Aspinall is just not going to play these fuck-fuck games. He'll, he'll probably move on the outside and, you know, figure out a way to set it up throw the hands, level change, take them down, and then it's just going to be curtains warm after that, you know. Once that is in play, it's a different ball game. But on the feet, do I think he could, I mean, like, you know, how would he do against, you know, uh, let me think about somebody here, like uh, Marcin Tybora. Like, you know, I don't know, again, if Tybora didn't take him down, I would, I mean, you would favor Pereira, would you not? Even against a guy like Derek Lewis, that's an interesting one. Um so there, there actually could be fun matchups for him there, for sure. It really is just contingent upon who who he's going to fight. The the Aspinall one, it just seems like, dude, Aspinall's got a million ways to win against anybody. And even if he didn't want to even try the stand-up, it wouldn't even... I'm not saying it wouldn't matter, but it wouldn't matter much. Let me make sure the volume is good, because I know I was playing with it. Let's see what we got. Yeah, it should be good. Okay. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Uh, buenos dias, buenas, Luke. In your opinion, what should be the UFC fight to save the card? There is no such thing. Without a main event officially announced so far, which fight would have the better impact on the people's eyes in order to boost this card's general interest? Well, you could have done the return of Nate Diaz, probably against Dustin Poirier, and you could have done that for the BMF title, which they can't do anymore, but I'm saying like in a perfect world, that would have been good. Conor McGregor would, I think be a home run for UFC 300. Again, they probably want to not have the anti-doping issue come up, I, I suspect. But you know, I'm not even sure if the timeline matters for that anymore. And even if it did, I don't think the fans will really care. Would you really care? I don't really care. Would you really care? I, I, again, views will differ on this one, but I'm, I'm just speaking candidly. I don't really give a shit. Not that I don't give a shit that there may be lingering PEDs in his body, but that they you know, would fast-track him uh, even through their own anti-doping policy, I don't. That doesn't really bother me, if I could be honest. Uh, but shit, data's like maybe in the fall, and I'm like, okay, well, uh, I guess that's out. So if that's not it, I mean, the two biggest ones we've talked about have been Izzy DDP and then Izzy Pereira three or five, depending on your perspective on that one. I think either of those would be more than suitable. Would be really good. But like, you know, when you say save the card, it's like, what's the Hail Mary that, you know, if you made it, it would just blow everyone away. I don't know that there, that one exists, given what we've eliminated. And again, dude, don't get me wrong. Like, here's the thing. Panetta versus Aspinall, there's a way that could be fun. And honestly, I don't even really know if you're not going to do Conor McGregor, if Ronda Rousey's not coming back, if there is no Brock Lesnar, if Nate Diaz isn't coming back. You're just like, well, who, like, GSP's off the list. Habib's off the list. Like, all, if all those names are actually off the table... And what you have to work with is the aforementioned matchups. These are not necessarily bad matchups. There's a way, there's a way where Aspinall versus Pereira could be fun. Absolutely. There's 100% a way where that could be fun. I tend to think that like once, once 
Aspinall takes it to the ground, it's going to be curtains for him. But, you know, who knows? It could be fun. There's a way that that could go. But I don't tend to think that. I tend to think it's probably the other way around, which, which means it's not going to be like a long main event. Um, and it's not for like the biggest stakes unless Pineda wins. Like if Aspinall goes in there and just blows the doors off of him, you're going to be like, oh, right. Like, why did we do that? Because that was never going to be competitive. But, you know, if for some reason Izzy can't get ready or DDP can't get ready or for whatever reason they can't make these matchups and they have to pivot to that, I, I don't know what to tell everyone. Like I said, dude, the rest of that card is sick. The rest of that card is sick. People, I mean, I know there's these people who hate women on the internet who don't understand that, like, like Jessica uh, Andrade and uh, Marina Rodriguez are going to make a perfectly serviceable fight. I think they said that they are going to open the main, or excuse me, the prelim card with Figgy and Cody Garbrandt. Like, dude, that card up and down has sick matchups. It does not appear. I mean, here's basically my read on this, and I've talked to a few people about it. I think that if they had a really great crown jewel of a main event, they would have already announced it. Like, I don't think they're keeping it secret for dramatic effect. I just don't think that they've really landed on the place that they want to land on. And so, you know, um, here here we are. I would also say, in defense of UFC a little bit here, a lot of folks want UFC 300 to be unlike any other card. Right? And what I mean by that is, any UFC card they make, and this is true for UFC 300, all the way down to these Apex cards, any card they make is going to be subject to some of the same realities and pressures. Namely, and I've talked to UFC matchmakers many, many times about this uh, at events, right? Um, they start with like an idea of like what a card should look like. And then someone gets injured and they have to substitute. And then someone doesn't sign the bout agreement and doesn't work, or they decide they they don't they it can't get made for whatever reason, and they have to go to a second one, and then they have to adjust schedules because this one was only contingent upon that one being there, and because that one's not there, now this changes and it moves to another card. In other words, they start with like this idealized version of a card, but then real life gets in the way, and then they have to make some adjustments. They've tried to probably resist those pressures affecting. UFC 300 as much as possible, but you cannot divorce it from the reality in which it exists. People will get injured. Bout agreements won't get signed for whatever reason. Guys can't get ready on certain turnaround times, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I just feel like there's a lot of fans who have like an unrealistic expectation. It's like, okay, that it's fine if that affects 299, even though that's a great card. It's fine if it affects the Joe Pfeiffer, Jack Hermanson card this weekend at, at the Apex. It's not fine if it affects UFC 300, but the UFC is not really in control of that. They can only engineer what is available. And, you know, you might say, well, hey, pay more money, you'll get better results. That might be true. That might be true. But they've got their business model. They're going to stick to it. We've just got what we've got. There are going to be, uh, you know, a series of trade-offs that they're going to have to make to make this card and get it over the finish line. I, I, you know, I just would really caution folks. UFC 300 doesn't have to, like blow you the fuck away it just has to be really great and honestly if they get an izzy main event in there i mean maybe maybe even with the aspinall one to be honest i'm a little less high on that one but you know if they definitely make one of the izzy title fights or whatever dude that's a sick card <laughs> that's a really great card like i would just ask you what other promoter could even come close to making something like that fucking pfl has a phenomenal card this month pfl versus bellator dude that's a great card like, no bullshit. That's a great card. It doesn't come close to this one. And so I know what you might say. Oh, but what could they do in an idealized world? I mean, we just don't live in that one, you know?
person asks, you've mentioned that Taporia's personality doesn't fully come across to audiences in English. That is very true. Who are the other three to five fighters, active or retired, that you notice have noticed a significant difference between their native language and English? Does your wife still have these same differences when she's speaking English versus Spanish? I think my wife has been here long enough now where it's not as much of an, an issue. I will say that, that you know she's a little shyer in English than in Spanish, but not much. I mean, she's been here for 20 plus years at this point. So, you know, and her English is uh, completely fluent. Um, so, you know, probably less so with that. I mean, it's hard for me to say what the answer to this would be because I don't speak Russian. I don't speak Portuguese. I don't speak Japanese, but I have a feeling that Taporia is hardly alone in this. Dude, I'm telling you guys, like, it's a little over the top, but like when you hear him speak Spanish, he's, he, he sounds almost like Conor McGregor. Like, you know, obviously there's differences, but I'm just saying, like, you get McGregor vibes. And I know in English you get, you're starting to get a little bit of that with him. You're starting to get a little bit of that with him. But uh, it's still a little demure. It's still a little sheepish relative to his Spanish. Like, it's not the same guy. I'm going to guess that there's a lot of Brazilian fighters who have been that way. I'm going to get. I mean, Moicano, before he started speaking English, did you really understand him in terms of, like, did you really get a great sense for his personality? And, you know, he, he had to work on his English in order to bring that personality to life. And he's also kind of acting over the top. But I would imagine it's pretty frequent, to be honest with you. I would imagine it's hardly in any way isolated to him. He just sort of stands out because I have to work on my Spanish every day. And so I'm a little bit more like when I hear him talk, I'm like, holy shit. Like, that's not what he sounds like in English at all. I don't have the language proficiency in other places to make a call on that. It's just... You know, having seen it in so many places, it just doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like that's a unique case whatsoever. And also, like my Spanish is quite basic, but this this is sort of my point. Like, partly who your personality is is a function of your proficiency or fluency. Partly, it's also your comfortability with it. Even if you are, in other words, I've seen people who are proficient to fluent, but they're not comfortable with it. So even when they're speaking in a public way. They're trying to speak as little as possible, right? To not make mistakes. They don't want to embarrass themselves. And so you don't, even even though they could be doing better speaking, they don't. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of ways in which this is camouflaged. I wonder about Anderson Silva or, or Vanderlei or any of these guys. You know, I wonder how it's different. I don't know the answer to that. Um, you would have to talk to uh, Fabiano Busque. He could tell you. His personality seems to go... I mean, he, he's so fucking fluent and such a good speaker in Spanish, too. Like, his Spanish is, is, is uh, excellent. He might be the exception to that rule, you know. But it, it's pretty common. It's pretty common. Uh, look, I was pleasantly surprised when you said that Kyle Kulinski was a personal hero of yours. Yeah, I love Kyle. So I've been watching you and Secular Talk for years now. I wish more people were exposed to that brand of politics through him because Kyle breaks down politics and socioeconomics in a very digestible way. I mean, I don't have much to say on this except Kyle's the man. I recommend him uh, uh, highly. Um, what I would say is, like, you know, what's kind of funny is my brand of politics is very much like his. And what's kind of funny is because my worldview tends to be divergent relative to the predominant views that are in the sport right now, people assume that, like, my views are what, in their mind is like their adversary in the culture wars. And it's like, guys, here's my politics. I don't think people um, should go bankrupt with medical debt when they get cancer at 70. I think that the rail system should work better 
uh, in this country. I think that the FTC, and it's doing a better job, but the FTC should focus its energy on making sure there's not monopolization in various sectors of the economy and on and on and on. This is, these are the things I am principally concerned about. Who the fuck is hawking Bud Light, whether it's Kid Rock or a transfer? Either way, I don't give a shit. These are like deeply, deeply inconsequential questions um, or issues. And like, these are, these are, these are not totally, but mostly insignificant questions that occupy largely bored or low information people. Not, not totally true. That's not quite 100% true. But the point I'm trying to make is, um, we, this is true across the aisle. All of us collectively keep electing people, um, that are tend to be focused more on, the former than the than the kind of issues that I'm concerned about, and so you get really ineffective governance, and so people have just sort of assumed that like the government can't do anything, and it certainly cannot do a lot of things very well. That is, I mean, that I don't think that's very much a very debatable thing, but it could be doing a lot better on core issues. But we can't even have a reasonable debate about single family zoning and what the fuck this does to the cost of rent and then what that does to homelessness in urban areas or what this does to uh, the ability to collect on taxation and what an equitable taxation bracket looks like. I know these sound like boring issues and the kinds of things that people actually don't think about. People, when I tell you these are the kinds of issues that I think about, these are the kinds of issues I think about because in reality, these are some of the most important ones day to day, month to month, week to week, year to year that this that that any government can undertake is how it, the, to what extent where it has the you know uh, inherent monopoly or a comparative advantage economically and what its proper role is and function is and what its capacity is to actually meaningfully benefit people. There's so much we're not getting right because we are distracted by fucking nonsense. I cannot cannot overstate that enough. Um, we can't even make meaningful progress on some of the biggest issues because we are mired in the dumbest possible debates around the least significant issues imaginable. Not totally true that there are some exceptions. I don't think that, um, you know, I don't think that uh, uh, we should be engaging in uh, overseas wars that aren't of necessity, in which currently there are none that are of necessity that I can detect. Um yeah, I don't think we should be genociding the Palestinian people. I mean, I could go on and on with this. These are the things that I care about. And I tell you what, if you actually had a government who got most of these questions right, if they got highway transportation correct, if they got taxation brackets correct, if they got medical services correct, if they got uh, the breaking up of monopoly correct, do you understand how much better everyone's life would be? Like the vast, the vast way everyone's life would be better if we could get those questions correct. But we can't even have discussions about this shit um, because we're focused on the stupidest possible debates that exist. All right. Uh, let's see. Look, I noticed that Max versus Dustin 2 was announced in Feb of 2019 and took place in April of 2019. Ironically, Max versus Gaethje is scheduled for April 2024. Okay. It was announced almost a full month earlier than Max versus Poirier 2 was uh, announced. While fight announcements don't always correlate exactly to the time when a fighter actually finds out about the bout, is it still safe to say that Max will have more time to bulk up? Yes. 
for this fight versus Gaethje than he did versus Poirier. He's playing Poirier wrong in their rematch. And do you see that being a factor that may be overlooking? Yes. Remember, there was not a... Let me pull up Max's... Well, I mean, you kind of had the thing there in terms of the timeline. It's not just that he has more time to bulk up. He actually has a trial run to see what... Right. Going... People think changing weight class is like an easy, obvious thing. It, it it's, not the, it's not rocket science, but it's not that simple. How much weight do you want to cut? How much muscle do you want to add? What do you want to do to your body composition? What are you solving for when you move up a weight class? Are you just solving for the fact that the weight cut was terrible? And I think the weight cut, by the way, is harder on Max than people t realize. It actually is quite difficult. He just makes it, but it is very difficult. But the point I want to make here with all of this is that when you actually go up a weight class, you're trying to solve for something. And when you do, if it's not just to stop doing a horrendous weight cut, well, now you have to begin to ask, are you trying to maximize speed? Are you trying to maximize pu punching power? Are you trying to maximize punch uh, resistance? Like, what are you trying to do with this extra weight? And how should that be apportioned? And how do you actually achieve that in a reasonable way? You actually need someone like Jordan Sullivan, the fight dietitian, and others to kind of plan this out and do it strategically. Well, they already had an opportunity to do this in the Poirier fight. And they had, I think, probably some lessons learned there. None of this means that he'll necessarily beat Justin Gaethje. That's really not the point. But what you're asking is, might he have a better sense of how his body should look and perform at 155 this time? And might he have a better sense about what um, has to happen in order for him to get to that place and what that means with his diet, what that means with his training, how should those be different, what does that mean for the weight cut there? All of those things. He's going to have that first experience in his back pocket I think that will serve him again whether or not that's going to be enough to be Justin Gaethje is you know very debatable and I think we all know that but I do agree with you that that Poirier fight nothing went perfect there uh will be serve as a great learning lesson down the line let's see here uh, you already mentioned that if Taporia wins, it would be by pressure boxing versus Volk. What strategies, especially anything specific for Taporia as an opponent, might we see Volk using in this fight? I mean, I definitely think he's going to be mixing it up. Uh, I mean, I think he's going to be all the way in, all the way out, which is kind of a standard thing. But, I mean, I would just say this. I think he's going to absolutely kick him at, uh, excuse me, keep him at kickboxing range. I think he's going to try and use um, traps in terms of any kind of distance closing, any kind of angle setting. I think those are going to be absolutely crucial to the battle itself. I mean, just think about it. Like, do you think Volkanovski straight up, like, trying to just box it out with Taporia in the pocket is going to win for him? That seems like a bad idea, right? Like, that doesn't... Of all the strategies one could employ, that probably is going to be the least of them. However, uh, using lateral footwork, forcing a guy like Taporia to turn, minimizing the, his ability to throw in combination, occupying any kind of punching... Uh, arms by virtue of kicking it so like he has to holster that for defense which limits his capacity to throw in combination which which begins to sow doubt these are the things i think are going to be very very crucial for him and to do that he needs space he needs he needs angles he needs rotation he needs movement all of those are going to be pretty big and, and this isn't to say that he won't box with him at times of course um if he could he could win in the way he did with yair where he stance switched into a punch and catches him and then from there, he's able to finish him off. Like, that could absolutely be in play. But I think, generally speaking, 
if you're Volkanovsky, you're going to want this, even though he's at shorter range, he's going to want it within his kicking range, which he can then use to set traps for his boxing, for his exits. And I also think that, like, you definitely don't want Taporia on top of you. That would be quite bad um, if you got taken down, right? Because he's just a heavy puncher. He does have good wrestling. He has very good jiu-jitsu. You know, he doesn't have Brian Ortega jiu-jitsu, but, dude, he's, he's real good. But I bet you that he's not nearly as worried about Taporia if Taporia's underneath. I think the takedowns are going to be crucial to that as well. They're going to, I mean, again, you go back to this, and part of this is the way in which he uses feints and rhythm disruption and range changing to, to in Volkanovsky's words, scramble his brains, right? But really what it comes down to there is partly it's, it's sort of two things. One, I can't detect the rhythm of what he's trying. And that confusion, if you look at the numbers and what Volkanovsky does, Volkanovsky, when he is doing well, obviously the last fight notwithstanding, but when he's doing well, you can see that the output of his opponents are lowered. And this can still happen in cases where it's completely at range, not necessarily someone who is who can't punch because they're on the ground or something like that. It happens at range, standing. So what does that mean? That means that they're confused and they can't get a read. They can't get going. They can't, they can't see, see what's coming or going. As a consequence, they don't throw as much. So that, I think, will still be in play. But the other part is simply sowing doubt. Um, is he coming in for a takedown? And when he does, what does he do with it? And what kind of takedown? And off what entry? And off what stance? And off what range? And off what feints and what setups? And dude, and he'll begin to start cooking with all the patterns there. Hey, he took me down the first time from open stance off of a high jab and then a low jab and then you know a head outside single into a high crotch. And then he'll switch up the look and try it again, doesn't get it, and then he'll go for a bot. I mean, he'll he'll begin to put these things together. But to me, it all happens from him creatively using all of his different ways in which he sets up patterns, rhythm disruptions, distance management. But I think it will start from kicking range. Kicking range is going to be the way in which he's going to get Taporia to enter the traps. It's going to way that's going to give him the space to exit when he needs to. It's going to give him the space to stance switch into takedowns for should he look for that. It's going to keep him safely out of boxing range for the most part. I think you're going to look for that. So this is going to be you often see this. This is not this is not like always the case, but you guys hear me say this a bit like a broken record how the real estate of the octagon is being manipulated, used, or dominated here, depending on how it goes, but who is defining the terms of how the real estate is occupied, that will tell you who's winning. The range as well, but but uh, as well as the, um, the, the real estate. So pay attention. If you see Volkanovsky, not so much on his heels, but like really on his heels and covering and not able to throw... That would be a problem. I also think this. I think that Volkanovsky is going to be heavy. I mean, we already know this, but heavy on the fainting to be, for the most part, I think he's going to want to be the guy that goes first. I think he's, I think initially he's going to be one of the guys who wants to go first. I think over time he'll begin to switch that up if he if he's successful. And now Taporia is getting desperate. I think then he'll switch it up to go in between or, or after. But I think you're also going to start to see him really be the guy. who I think he wants to set the tone. Both guys are going to want to set the tone, but you're asking about Volkanovski. He's going to want to set that tone. That's going to be part. These are the sort of the basic things that I'll be looking for um, as we get there. Okay, let's go back here. Oh, look at this. Greetings from Venezuela. Can you believe that? Saludos. 
does it look to you that, by the way, I've got a neighbor who's from Venezuela. I got a neighbor who's from Venezuela and he told me like, he, he still goes back to Venezuela a couple times a year. And what he told me was that like, you know, a few years ago when you went back, it was, it was real bad. Like grocery stores didn't have shit and you know, the poverty was insane and it was bad. What he said was obviously things are not like amazing, but what he said was they, they're past the bottom that like it hit rock bottom and now they're getting to a better place. So he, I think he went, I think he went like six months ago and he was telling me that the grocery stores, like the shelves were stocked and like, you know, again, there was a lot of issues, plenty of issues, plenty of insecurity, but it wasn't as bad. So I was glad to hear that by the way, uh, because I know the Venezuelan people have suffered quite greatly, unfortunately. Uh, All right. Getting back to your question. Uh, Does it look to you that Taporia is taking somehow the same path as McGregor with Aldo in 2015 by underestimating Volk? And declaring superiority. I believe this can go very bad if he loses against Volk due to his confidence and credibility being crashed into the ground. Yeah. Boy, I mean, here is what Taporia is is doing. He is either, he is either setting up an I told you so of epic proportion, right? I mean, the things he's saying in the media, like... I mean, I'm going to embarrass him everywhere. I'm going to beat him everywhere. I'm going to finish him whenever I want, basically. We all know the story before, changing the social media to be like, I'm the champion. And what I mean, these are like, I mean, that's, that's, that's taking ballsiness to a new level. Part of the reason why it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, just personally speaking, I mean, I'm not an elite prize fighter, but like part of the reason why it doesn't make a lot of sense to me is like, dude, you can get injured very quickly and like the whole thing can go sideways in the fight. Like you just, I mean, the the, the I understand the confidence, but like, it's a little over the top, and I think it's kind of rubbing some people the wrong way. But uh, but but if he wins, and let's say he wins, you know, just a thunderous punch, bah, you know. His I told you so tour is going to be, I mean, it won't be quite as good as McGregor because McGregor versus Aldo had a world tour, you know. But it's going to be big. I mean, it's going to be fucking huge if he can pull that off, you know. Conversely... <laughs> Woo. conversely let's say volk is like y'all must have forgot and he goes in there and just schools this dude right let's say that happens dude i don't know if taporia will ever live it down i mean the shattering to his ego that that would do it would be bad it would be really bad i mean imagine being so fucking conv- what have you ever done in your life that was as difficult as what Toporia is attempting? And you had that much confidence you were going to absolutely go in there and fuck shit up. I mean, I've there's been times where I thought I was like real well suited to do well and I didn't do that. Now granted, again, we're talking about the psychology of an elite prize fighter. That's a that's a different ball game altogether. I'm just trying to ask you guys out there, put yourself in his mind like dude you uh, he dude he's not this is not any he, you know he's not fighting some fucking guy in the apex he's fighting arguably pound for pound the best guy in the fucking world <laughs> and he's already changed his his instagram to say he's the fucking ch- i mean it's just a level of confidence that's actually it's frankly hard to understand and if that blows up in his face like you, you, i'm so convinced i'm gonna go in there and just fucking wash this this dude Treating him like a scrub, right? Treating him like a scrub. How, how, what, what do you tell yourself after that? I mean, this is the thing, right? 
elite prize fighters, from what I can tell, having talked to them over all these many years, one of the things that really stands out is how much they brainwash themselves. And, and I want to be clear about something, how essential that is for success, right? And a loss doesn't necessarily derail that. One loss doesn't necessarily derail that. Two losses, three losses, five, seven, two, whatever. It doesn't necessarily derail all of that. But I have seen intervals where guys have really been convinced and they've had camps where every T was crossed, every I was dotted, every meal, they did exactly their caloric responsibility. They didn't miss road work. They didn't miss pad work. Their sleep was on point. Their wives either supported them or whatever it was, they left them alone, whatever it was for the best success. I mean, everything that you're supposed to do Right, they went in there and they felt great. They sounded great on the mic. They had a great way, the weight cut. They weighed in. The crowd roared for their approval, approval, and then they got fucking washed. It is shattering. It is shattering to them when that happens. And the strong ones can, you know, put the pieces of Humpty Dumpty back together again. Not everybody can. Now, Taporia seems like a mentally strong kind of guy, but I'm just saying, dude, if if Volk goes in there and not just, I mean, if Volk goes in there and beats him. And it's really competitive, you know, or like could go either way. That also would not be great considering he's been like, oh, I'm going to wash the guy and, you know, I'm, I'm already the champ. Yes, that would be bad, but that wouldn't be nearly as bad. But what I'm positing is imagine if Volt goes in there and does, okay, he's not going to do what he did to the Korean zombie. Okay, that's not going to happen. But something on the order of Yair, you know, where he gets finished off. What now? Who, who, you have been telling yourself you are somebody. And then the day comes to show the world that you're that somebody and you are not that somebody. And so the first question you would have to ask is, well, who the fuck am I? Where do you stand on Taylor? By the way, by the way, let me say this real quickly. I know, I know a lot of you are not boxing fans. I'm not trying to convert you. I know a lot of you may not care about this recommendation. That's fine. If it doesn't pertain to you, chuck it out the window. I don't care. Tonight on uh, ESPN, Teofimo Lopez versus Jermaine Ortiz. You might be like, who the fuck is that? Jermaine Ortiz gave Lomachenko everything he could handle. Lomachenko had to rally in that fight to beat him. He's very good. And Lopez should beat him. But if Lopez is fucking around, this is not the guy to fuck around with. This is not that guy. Mm -mm. You're not that guy, pal. You know what I mean? He, that's You do that to this guy, you will pay for it. Now, he looked amazing, Lopez did, against Josh Taylor, but I'm recommending you watch this one. Also, like up-and-coming American star Keyshawn Davis is going to be taking on Jose Pedraza. Pedraza's on the decline. I mean, he's kind of long in the tooth, but but old Keyshawn is, is uh, he's a hell of a fighter, too. That's a, fun, that's a fun little contest to pay attention to there, if I do say so myself. All right, getting back to, let me, let me, just make sure I know that the time on that one. Oh, hold on. Oh, for fuck's sake, did this thing die? Come back to this thing. Uh, okay, getting back to it. I think it's 1030. I'll double check. Where do you stand on Teofimo's career at this point? I remember how rightfully positive you were after about Teo after the Loma fight, yes. And I'd argue he deserves more credit for the Taylor win. On any given day, he can be top three pound for pound, or he can underachieve. There aren't many two-weight lineal champs in the history of the sport, but I always fear that he'll miss his full potential. 
you know, I don't really know what the story is, but you talk to BC, BC really says that it, it's just a function, not so much of his ability, right? Like we can kind of tell like when he's got everything dialed in, he's focused and he's really trying to go. I mean, his timing is incredible. His athleticism is next level. He's got good power. Uh, I mean, he's, you know, he's really, he can, he can, he can reach soaring heights should he choose to, but he has had, you know, his boxing, you see a lot of this, like his father trains him and that's always, that's not a red flag, but it's a little sketch at times. Um, and BC's belief is that his personal life has been f uh, unstable, I think is the best way to put it. And then to the extent that it's unstable, it just ruins everything. But he thinks that it's right now in a pretty good place. So take that for what it's worth. Um, great, great fight tonight. Great fight. ESPN. Dude, I love weekday fights. I know people don't for whatever reason. I love them. I love weekday fights. You can't, can't get enough of them. So, yeah. Uh, since the PFL has bought Bellator, where is Scott Coker? It feels like he has entered witness protection. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I would say this. I'm kind of glad PFL is not using him. And it's going to sound like super insulting. I'm not trying to be super insulting. But listen, so recently you had Dana White coming out and saying things like, oh, Scott Coker never built stars. He just recycled them, which is just matter-of-factly not true. It's not true at all. You know, the the the... The two biggest boosts that the UFC ever got was when they purchased or, you know, kind of let pride die is a better way to put it, and then killed off Strike Force as well. These things made the UFC much better than it ordinarily ever would have been. And I can tell you that, like, the, uh, and I, I know that seems like obvious in hindsight. Let me tell you how it went in real time. In real time, there were a lot of people that thought that, and in WEC as well. A lot of people that thought that when the Strike Force guys went over to UFC, yeah, guys like Daniel Cormier might do well, blah, blah, blah. It'll be cool to see Jacare. But there were not a lot of people who thought they would go in there and dominate the way they did. And those motherfuckers went in there and dominated. Right? They dominated. Um, I thought Scott Coker did a tremendous job with Strike Force. I really do. I thought he did. I thought he did. You know, there are lots of things you could nitpick about it. There are lots of things that did not go right. I don't even like some of the coverage that I offered back in the day. There were, there were some things that I just didn't I didn't love about it, but in the end, I can look back on what he did with Strike Force and very much salute the fact that he did a great job. And Dana's saying like they didn't make stars. I think it was uh, Open Note Grappling had noted that um, before R Rousey ever went to the UFC, she was on Conan O'Brien and uh, had done major commercial spots and whatnot. I mean, you know, she was on her way to doing um, something pretty special, no matter what. But I did not think that Bellator. I did not, I did not, it took me a while to realize this too. I did not think he did a great job with Bellator. Now, I also want to give him a little bit of credit there too, which is I don't know what anybody could have done. I, I can't overstate this. And I know I sometimes sound like a broken record on this one too, but you really need to listen to me and please believe me when I tell you this. You have to fully, you have to fully wrap your head around this. It is not possible to compete with the UFC. It is not possible right? We have a, there was a t-shirt you can buy at any PX in the Marine Corps. I remember they used to sell them anywhere. And it was like Marine Corps sniper. You can run, but you'll only die tired, right? You can try to compete with the UFC. You will only die slowly, but you will die. You will die. There is no possible way to compete with them. The only way to compete with the UFC would be 
for PFL or whoever, PFL, Bellator, whatever the organization, to have their guys be able to fight UFC guys. That is it. If you cannot get that, it is not possible to develop an extra league and then convince the public, no matter how good it is, that this league is as good or better or whatever as the UFC's league. It cannot be done. And what we know from the history of fight sports is if you do not have the ability to have that crossover, which essentially, by the way in which the Ali Act and other uh, anti-monopolistic measures happen in boxing, you do have that crossover. I mean, it's hard to come by sometimes, but you do have it. Well, then you can have multiple promoters. That actually works. But we don't have any of that kind of regulation in MMA. So the UFC has 90% or more of the world's elite talent or so we believe the uf the, the public believes that that is the gold standard and of course it is um it doesn't matter what else you do around them unless your guys are able to fight their guys you will go out of business you will go out of business there is no other there is nothing else you can do and when i say go out of business listen to what i'm saying you, you might be able to make money on this event or maybe you had a good year or a bad year but overall, the trajectory is where it is. You will not be able to generate enough revenue to sustain operations, period. So people often ask me, like, this PFL Bellator thing, you know, the, the card in Saudi Arabia. Dude, I can't wait to see it because it's a quality card. I'm not watching it because I'm like, wow, let's see if these guys can compete with the UFC. If nothing changes in the industry, look at me very clear. Look at me right now. If nothing changes in the industry, the PFL will go out of business. Or they will sell it to some other whoever, and then they will buy it, and it'll become their problem. But you know, in some kind of zombied way. But they're not actually going to make money and then end up. It's not possible. Literally, not possible. It cannot be done. Not by you. Not by me. Not by Elon Musk with all of his money. Not by any kind of MIT scientists. Not by any kind of other group of incredibly smart fields medal winners it cannot be done you cannot find enough smart business people and you know some kind of concept and put this all together and you're like okay well now we have the dream team you will go out of business it may take a while you will go out of business period it cannot be done i cannot tell you just anecdotally this is not proof of it but it's sort of like an example of it I mean, just understand, if you've been watching UFC since the early 2000s, do you understand how many guys and outfits I've seen come around and say shit like, oh, yeah, we're going to build our own roster and we'll show them. Bitch, you're going to be showing the bank your fucking, uh, you know, uh, you're going to be sitting in the bank's office trying to ask them for a loan because shit has gone real bad for you. It's not going to work. It will not work. It cannot work. That's, this is not how fight sports work. Period. End of story. This is why the UFC's contracts are the way they are. This is why they don't co-promote. It is these, and this is why they have their own titles. Well, that's just sort of a benefit of the regulatory scheme. They will go out of, everyone around them will go out of business. Sooner or later, it will happen. Period. Unequivocally true. It's the fucking law of the universe. This is what it means to have a monopoly. There is not enough money to sustain anything else. The UFC of every dollar made in the industry, they take 90 cents. There's not enough money for everybody else. So, 
he had an impossible task, both with Strike Force, although it was le- it was a little bit more possible to compete with them at that time, but even then, not really. But it's especially not possible now. It's not possible. And so Bellator had an impossible job in that sense. Nevertheless, you know, putting Phil Davis on multiple main cards, I did not think made any sense. Um, I don't know why Rich Chow left Bellator, but here's my guess. My guess is because he did not like the vision. I have talked to numerous people who worked at Bellator who did not like the vision that he was executing. There were so many cards where it was like Valentin Moldovsky at the top of it. I'm like, this card shouldn't exist. This isn't this isn't a thing that anyone cares about. Dude, how many times have you watched a Bellator event where they booed the fucking main event out of the, you know, into the end of the broadcast? Um, I thought that Coker had an impossible task with Bellator and was an excellent promoter with Strikeforce. I did not think he was a strong promoter at all with Bellator. And so I'm not saying that PFL is or, you know, whatever, but they got Mike Kogan, who I do think uh, it does a great job with matchmaking and understands the promotional business very well. And I think some of the other internal Bellator talent and, um, I think that that's probably the best that they could hope for. But one more time. <laughs> oh, well, they've they got Bellator. They've got 26% of blood. They're going to go out of business sooner or later, but it is inevitable. It's fucking Thanos. Inevitable. Inevitable. And unlike the Avengers, I don't think they have a time machine to fix the problem. All right. Uh, someone asks, you mentioned not trying to overlap with Ariel's show on Monday's live chat. Yes. What do you think makes him a major figure in MMA? Well, that's easy. And why fans gravitate towards him? And have you applied anything he does to my career? Well, I mean, I hosted an MMA hour for a year, but um, very differently. There are different results, too. And what are those? Um, okay, so first question, what do you think makes him a major figure? Well, first of all, his tenure is part of it. The other one is, um, you know, there's more people doing more podcasts who are doing more interviews than ever. But people have always been doing interviews for a long time. He was the first one that, I mean, when he was at AOL, he had his own like studio and he had a professional operation. Obviously, he's very good at interviewing. That's one of his strongest skills. Um, and so he has provided a consistent presence um, where the industry sort of understands the biggest and the best. I mean, there's obviously some exceptions to this, but you know, the biggest and the best uh, go to this sort of focal point on fight week calendars every Monday, every Monday. And I know he does Wednesday now, but like it used to be just Monday where it was this collecting place where you could trust that the, the biggest fighters from the biggest events over the weekend would be on their Monday to talk about it. And you would get details that you didn't get at the post fight presser. And he built a very smart business model combined with um, strong skill to develop something very, very special and frankly, um, uh, unlike anything anyone else in the industry is doing. I mean, I'm the only one who's got some perspective on this. I hosted MMA Hour for a year. Now, granted, I had to go head-to-head with him, which was, I can tell you, an unenviable task um, because if you're trying to book the same people, it creates difficulty down the line. Uh, Obviously, there was some dispute between he and I previously about that. There no longer is, but at a bare minimum, it was, you know, if that didn't exist, I mean, I will tell you, like, if I didn't have to go up against him head to head, and granted, I did, it wasn't quite head to head because I was on it. I think, I think, I think I did noon to two, right? Because I had to go and I couldn't go longer. I know he does like three, four, five hour shows and shit. 
I had to go uh, up. I had to do my radio show at three up, up, uptown. So at two, I turned back into a pumpkin. I had to race to the fucking subway and then go uptown and go to the Sirius XM headquarters and do my show up there. I didn't have, I didn't have the ability to like wait around. So that kind of limited me and everything else. But also like he had much better relationships with managers. He has much, he has a, he has a, obviously a bigger following. He'd been doing it for longer. I mean, it was, it was a lot to try and keep up with him, which is, you know, and like, let me, you might be asking me, Luke, what did Vox Media do during that time to encourage and help you? Like nothing, fuck all. But that's a different conversation for a different time. So I've, I know full well how hard that is to do. I know full well like uh, the difficulty of like week after week after week having this ability to have these people on. People have no fucking idea how hard that is. That is extremely difficult, extremely difficult to pull that off. You know, to make a destination programming in the industry, that's hard to do. It's easy to get an interview, not easy, it's relatively easy to get uh, an interview, you know, with, uh, hey, I live in uh, Las Vegas, I'm going to go down to Extreme Couture, I'm going to put a microphone in Chris Curtis's face, Sean Strickland, whoever, and you might be able to get, like, you know, a good pop on that interview, but it's nothing to, like, people go to you, and that only happens over time with consistent quality, consistent star power, and then a consistently excellent, excellent product you don't do those things no one's going to make you a destination program so um you're asking you asked what makes him a major figure in mma that and also you know i know it's weird right because the dana white thing in many ways has limited him in other ways it has boosted his profile and i know he's really you know i'm not trying to say it's been always oh, it great for him i mean there's been a lot of ways where it hasn't been but it certainly has um i think i think given him a little bit of freedom to Tell the stories, um, tell the truth of, of, of the UFC's, some of their practices more candidly. Um, and you ask, what else? Why fans gravitate towards him? Well, aforementioned. Uh, and have you applied anything he does to your career? I mean, I've learned some lessons from him. But to be honest with you, you know, I learned a lot from everyone in the industry. I've tried as I've gotten older. Again, everyone does a little bit of interviewing. Everyone does a little bit of the some, some of the same stuff. But... One reason why I like to do the breakdowns, and there's more of those coming certainly, um, and I've done a million of them anyway, is because I wanted something to differentiate me from him. You know what I mean? Like if, if you just try to copy what he's doing, it's like, oh, I do what he does, just less of it and less well. Like, you know, what is that going to do for you? Um, which isn't to say you shouldn't do interviews. Again, I can do different kinds of interviews. I've interviewed different kinds of people. You know, there are, there are, there's overlap and there's differentiation, but I would say in general, I've tried to look at what everyone else is doing and then him and everyone else included, and then be like, okay, I should go a slightly different way. Yeah. This person writes, uh, you often talk about how the fights are the only thing that you really like about the sport nowadays. I mean, it's slightly an exaggeration, but yes, as a longtime fan who has dabbled in competition, I feel similar. Okay. Uh, I still love the sport at its core, but the people in the culture that make up the sport feel very scummy. <laughs> Scrolling through social media and boards like Reddit, it feels as though this is shared from fellow long-term hardcore fans. Yes. Is this something you feel is more common with long-standing fans? I I'll say this. There's no doubt that the sport has changed in innumerable ways. One thing I will say about defending the current sport, again, this isn't to withdraw my criticisms of it, but one thing to like note is like, all the old heads like me, we are old people. We are old people. I'm like, I didn't have a sandwich before the gym. I was tired. You know what I mean? Like, as listen, when I was in my 20s, I had a fucking, you know, I was like caffeined out and full of rage and 
I'm a little more mellow these days. You know, I'm a little bit more empathetic. I think being a dad has made me certainly might try to be as more caring than I have ever been, probably. Probably, that's probably true, right? Or certainly since I reached adulthood. This is probably the most caring I've ever been. Partly, it is we are older and there's a new generation who has just not experienced life in the way that we have yet. They will, but they're not there yet. And so there's going to be this difference of opinion on how we view everything just by virtue of that. Just that alone. Um... So I'll defend the sport a little bit in that sense. The the other side of things, what I would say is, um, is this something you feel is more common with longstanding fans? Yes. The sport has also changed in some ways for the better, many ways for the better, actually. In a lot of ways, not necessarily. I mean, here's what I want folks to understand, and I'll move on to another question. There used to be this guy named Matt Horwich. You guys know Matt Horwich? You might. If you're an old school guy, you'll know Matt Horwich. If you're not, you won't. There used to be guys like him all through the sport. And what I mean by that is this, this guy, he was kind of like a hippie. He had long hair. He's a pretty good fighter, actually. He had some good wins. He got beat up a little bit, too. He wasn't a world beater, but he was this, like, really interesting character. You know what I mean? And you kind of felt like, man, you know what MMA is relative to, like, these other sports? It's this collection of misfit toys. And everyone had this strange story about, like, I believe in the power of crystals and rocks. You can hear Tuki yelling. Or, you know, I, I you had Matt Horace used to have this like psychedelic physics philosophy where it was this totally weird, unique view. And I, it's not like I found wisdom in it per se, but it was cool to be around these like di very different out there kind of characters all combined with our love of this very intense sport. It was just this, it was this kind of thing. And it wasn't so nakedly divided by. Um, political culture wars and now those have eaten everything you know when someone comes out there and like they again dude if you lead your personality with where what you're like what is your personality my personality is my allegiance in the culture wars it's almost certainly you're an uninteresting person almost certain not quite but almost certain that you're an un uninteresting person uh and it's taken the joy out of getting to know people like I'm not saying that they don't have interesting stories, but if you're just going to make that the most forward part of everything, I mean, what else is there to you? You have you have punted on developing an individual worldview in favor of this homogenized set of uh, this uh, checklist allegiance. The fuck is the point? I mean, who, who, that's not interesting to me. You know, I well, what is? We, we, dude, I'm telling you, like, we live in this age of everything is algorithm homogenized everyone has to make the same kinds of content they read it in the same kinds of ways on the same kinds of platforms we all espouse the same kind of views we listen to the same kind of podcasts we're reading the same books we're hanging out with the same kind of people everything is the fucking same and mma felt you know 15 20 years ago the opposite of that you couldn't tell what this guy's story was gonna this was like a french canadian guy and then Here's this dude who was doing this, and there's a Matt Horwich is over here, and you know, there's Trey Telegman with a missing pec muscle. Like, it was this incredibly, like, wildly crazy, not like a good way of sort of looking at the Moss Eisley Cantina. And now everyone feels like they're fucking stormtroopers, man. You know, it's like, what, like, get to know this one versus the next one. What the fuck is the point of that? Somebody have something new to say. I mean, that's why, like, people bag on Sean O'Malley, and certainly there's parts, you know, of his life that I could not identify with if I tried. But, you know, he's his own guy. 
He and, and listen, I don't like anything about Sean Strickland's worldview, but uh, well, he kind of leads with the culture war too. But there are parts to him where he's very much his own guy. That's all I'm asking. That's all I'm asking. All I'm asking is for somebody to just be their own person, to not be utterly influenced by the weight of this homogeneity that is forced on us all the fucking time. Somebody do something different, man. And and this is true not just for people I, I I agree with with worldview, people I don't. There there can be they can be homogenized in their own way too. They're not they're not in any way immune from any of that kind of stuff. That's not my point. I I don't I I really I, dude, I'm telling you like I this idea that like you and me have to have the same worldview to get along or to find uh, for me to find you interesting, not not even guys, I've been in the sport all this time. Not true. Not true, not true, not true, not true. But if you're just going to be another version of the last guy who came before you, what is that? Someone's asking uh, where to watch UFC in Manhattan. Fuck if I know, dude. I haven't watched UFC in Manhattan in 22 years. I have no clue. I have no clue. Oh, someone's asking about the crazy fight Nick Diaz was offered. So who... Oh, it was the other guy's manager I talked to. They denied it to me. So for that reason, I can't roll with it. But definitely the other... I don't think he represents Nick anymore, but there was a guy who represented him at the time who told me they were talking about it. I'll tell you this much. uh, Not anybody in his weight class... Not anybody in his weight class. Not anybody in the weight class up. Very quickly, I'm going to get to this one. Thoughts on Kevin Lee coming out of retirement. I like Kevin Lee a lot. I think very highly of him. And honestly, the thing he said really kind of like bummed me out a little bit. Where he said his mom said to him that he had lost his smile. Damn. That's heavy, man. That's heavy. I'll just say this. Like he had really devastating surgeries. And I don't really know what's possible for him. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know what he can do. I don't know. I don't, I don't really, I don't know the, I don't know the answers to any of those questions. I just hope that he can find a way to get that spark back. And if that means competing against lower level guys and having more, you're doing it more for love, not to become like some internet sensation, um, then God bless him. I hope he finds it. I hope he finds it. Kevin's. Kevin's one of the few guys in the industry that's only ever been cool to me. There's a few people like that. Um, Kevin's, I, I have, I have, I have a lot of respect for Kevin. I like him a lot. I haven't talked to him in a long time, but uh, let me go one more. Someone's asking, am I correct in saying your mother was ethnically Armenian? Yes. One of the many who ended up in Lebanon after the genocide, the um, the the Armenian genocide that the Turks interact um, uh, executed. Yes. Okay, that's about it for this one. Let's get to what we got for. Uh, you don't have to contribute to the paid portion, but if you want to, we'll we'll get to it there. Okay. All right. Very good. Let's see what you got. Hey, my namesake. Thank you for becoming a member, buddy. I appreciate it. 
Rick says, did you hear RFK on part of the Problem Podcast? I, I will tell you, I don't seek out his uh, thought leadership. So no, I did not. Uh, have you considered debating Ariel on Israel? <laughs> no. Uh, I'm not sure what that would accomplish. It's like... We don't have... I mean... Do, do you think that like... Okay. I don't know what would be the point of that. One, neither of us are um, Arab-Israeli scholars. Um... Two, I don't, like, I'm not, it's not to say I'm not open to new evidence, but it's like, I don't know what could possibly be marshaled to really change my perspective. I suppose it's not for that. I'm not saying you can't enjoy debate as entertainment. You absolutely can. But you have to be very careful with that. You have to be very careful with that. Debate can be entertainment. It is true. I was on the debate club in high school. Um... But you, once you understand how easily debate rules can be manipulated and even that, oh, this, this debate had a moderator and it had all these rules, all of those things can be gamed. All of them can be gamed. All of them can be gamed, especially by someone who doesn't know what they're talking about, but is very good at not making you realize that they're gaming it. Um, I, I like debates, but I like them when they're slow and I like them because, um, so there's two kinds of debates. I've told you guys this before. Like if you actually do real debating, there's policy and then there's Lincoln Douglas. Lincoln Douglas is a little bit more my style, but I actually did an, um, policy debating. And um, they would literally in policy debates, this is true. They talk as fast as possible or pretty close to as fast as possible. so They can get out as much information as possible. And then the way they do this is because like if you bring up, hey, I'm going to bring up X argument for this issue, they already have memorized what they're going to say about that and then what the citations are for it. And they're very good about connecting these dots in real time. So it's not really this like organic conversation. It's just this contest of memorization and then plugging things in. These are not re these are not really exercises where you're able to get clarity on an issue. Um, and so I'm not saying that there's no debate on any issue I would ever engage in. There, there probably could be, but it wouldn't be this one necessarily. I don't know that I'm very well qualified. I certainly wouldn't do it alone. And um, I don't think the public would necessarily benefit that much from it. So like for those reasons, I don't really quite get what the point would be. Um, I did see that. I will say this. I'll give a shout out. I'll give a shout out. Um, you guys know Omar Batter? Uh, he did a debate with uh, Destiny. Is that his name? His handle is at the Omni Liberal or whatever the fuck. Um, Omar Batter is a guy you should listen to. Omar is super fucking well read. And I did not find that debate to be necessarily all that constructive in terms of a back and forth. But his contributions, uh, Omar's contributions were uh, excellent. With all the Vince McMahon stories being exposed, is BC worried he will be next? No, I don't think so. I don't think so, man. Uh, that's fucking hilarious, though. But no, he's good. Uh, mandatory settlement conference scheduled for March 4th in the Lee case. So this is the uh, this is the antitrust case, yes. Likelihood of a settlement being reached and what fighters would demand. So it's a mandatory conference, but that meaning you have to attend. 
Not that you have to reach a resolution. Um, dude, I, I've been, you guys, I, I, I thought they would have fucking settled by now and they haven't done shit. Um, I don't think they're going to settle, I guess, especially with injunctive relief off the table. Uh, Maybe they're just not going to settle. I, I, I don't, I'm not expecting much is the answer. I'm not expecting much. What are the chances that Musk versus Zuck is the main event for 300? For everyone's sake, I hope zero. But also, did you guys see like Meta's even internal team was like, Zuckerberg engaging in these high-risk activities, blah, 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 is bad for him. So yeah, I don't think that that's really going to be on the table. Patrick says, BC drags his sled so much MK had to take a break while he trains for the Iditarod race as a sled dog. Uh, I don't really know what exactly that means, but... Thank you for the contribution. I know what the Iditarod is. I just don't quite get the the, the metaphor. Uh, Luke, think, love the content. My daughter is one month old now. Oh, shit. Do you have any suggestions or tips on these early stages, sleep or otherwise? Yeah, just hang on as best you can. Um, when people say that there's like no... There's like, oh, there's no real... There's no like... Um, there's no there's no hand you know, guidebook on how to be a parent. That's true. I mean, you can buy like the guidebook for parents, but I mean like a real universally agreed upon way. I mean, it's just, it's, it's hard. I've, I've found it's hard. Um, if your kid is one month old, dude, just you, my best advice to you is sleep train the shit out of them so that by three months you can begin to get some rest, but there will be sleep regressions for the next year plus on that. So, you know, you're not really ever out of that, but you know, suffice to say you can help yourself and do just do your best. It, it, I know this is not helpful in the way that like you had imagined, but just do your best. Just do your best. There really is not much more to it than that. This person asks, Luke, you seemed very intrigued by this new streaming deal coming in the fall. Give us your thoughts on how this affects UFC's upcoming negotiations and sports broadcasting as a whole. Well, I talked to an attorney about this yesterday um, who has some uh, antitrust litigation experience, and they were telling me they think that this this is going to get struck down. Um, now, that, w- that depends, right? So if... Let's talk about this. If Biden wins again, however much you like or hate that, I suspect that Lena Khan will stay on in, as, in the, uh, as the head of the FTC. Uh, if, she, if Trump were to win, I suspect that Khan's days will be gone. And I don't know who he'll put in there. It is possible he could put in there somebody who would be concerned about the antitrust implications. But recall that he has very close relationships, although he does hate the NFL, Trump. But uh, remember, because of the whole AFL-NFL thing, I'm not making it up. That's a real thing. But, of course, he is very close with Ari Emanuel. He is close with Dana White, and they're part of this deal. Uh, obviously, he's got a relationship on some level to to the golf world as well. So I don't know exactly, and I don't know exactly how that would go, I, but I do think who wins will have an effect. But like, if it ends up being that the powers that are currently there stay in, there's going to be regulatory oversight for that, for sure. Okay, but putting that aside for just a second, I mean... There's a lot of implications of it. It's like, first of all, what's it going to cost? Number one. Number two, what does it mean for, and I know I work there, but what does it mean for Paramount? Paramount does have the NFL. Um, and they have Champions League. But you can tell just like everything that that service has, you know, 
that's a little bit they're the odd man out with the exception of having some of the NFL games and I think they have the final four of March Madness that's also pretty big that's a big winner for them but they're kind of the odd man out in addition to NBC which will have the Premier League they're also not part of this as well so they've got some big properties that are not part of it but like virtually everything else is and so if you're NBC or you're CBS slash Paramount, you have to be asking your question about like, where do you fit into all of this? Does that push you together with NBC and so? I mean, it really creates some very complicated questions. Also, the NFL, remember, the NFL loves it that they're on cable. They like being on linear television and they like, remember, the, the, the Super Bowl goes to like CBS one year. It goes to NBC another year. It goes to Fox another year. By the way, NBC also has Sunday night football for the NFL, which is a big property. So, man, it's it's. Okay, I will say this. I knew there was going to be an apocalypse coming, man. I knew there was going to be. Like, you look at the Wall Street reporting, and when I say Wall Street reporting, I mean, like, firms on Wall Street charged with looking at the health of these streaming services. These guys have been screaming that the, you know, that there is, I mean, dude, I've seen Wall Street reports that, like, some of these big firms would just liquidate the streaming service and then sell off the studio parts for assets. Big ones. You know, you just knew it wasn't sustainable. Everyone made these giant moves to the online content and they're not paying anything that they thought it was going to pay. And now they don't know what to do. So you knew, you knew, you knew there was going to be an apocalypse. And so these are these other entities trying to get ahead of it. The NBA's deal hasn't been signed yet. So that's going to be a big thing. Obviously, the NFL, I'm not sure when that comes up. But of course, that will be the case. I mean, dude, the NFL did 50 fucking million viewers for their AFC uh, championship conference game. Dude, what? 50 million and it's not the Super Bowl? Like nothing else. The NFL is almost single-handedly holding the cable bundle together. So um, let's see what it costs. Let's see if there's regulatory oversight. Let's see what it does to the other players. Here's the other part too. Like I don't know what the service will cost. Let me just give a, a name. The name is ABC, right? I realize there's a television channel. All right, so let me give another one. XYZ. The XYZ service. Here's what I don't get. I realize that if, let's say you don't have cable and you wanted to buy the XYZ service, right? So you get ESPN, all that, all that stuff. You get Time Warner, all that stuff. You get the Fox, all that stuff. When you log into the app, standalone app, you can go to those verticals. Like if you guys ever go to Disney's, uh, Disney Plus's uh, um, uh, interface, it's got like, uh, like a Star Wars vertical, it's got like a Marvel vertical, it's got like a Nat Geo vertical, so you can just go and get all that content. But here's the thing that I'm wondering, what is stopping any of these entities, which would co-own it together, a third each, from just signing people to the XY, so signing entities to the XYZ app? In other words, once the standalone service is running, people are charging, yes, you would want individual ESPN content, you might want individual Fox content, but if they want to make additional purchases and they could pool their resources, what's stopping them from just signing it to the standalone app itself, not necessarily part of Fox, of whatever? What does that do to the industry? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a potential game changer. It really is. Uh, definitely a huge story to watch. Huge. As far as the UFC's negotiations, I mean, I definitely think it helps them. Right, because ESPN's going to. By the way, what about the stories of the NFL buying a stake of ESPN? What about that? Um, I think it helps the UFC for sure. 
Uh, Netflix is the only interesting competitor here. Obviously, they're going to have WWE. If Netflix, and I think they're going to have um, like um, like a hard knocks version. Did you see that for Major League Baseball? What if they got into the game and they're like, okay, we're going to hire, we're going to sign UFC to a ten-year, you know, twenty billion dollar deal. Um, that'd be kind of interesting. And so like that, that bundle gets bled a little bit out. I don't really know. I don't really know how this will impact them. It is a massive, massive consideration. Did you see the clip where Pat McAfee mentioned TKO being a monopoly to Dana White? Yes. He was like, don't say monopoly around me. What are the chances he doesn't go on Pat's show again? No, he'll go on Pat's show again. I don't think he gives a shit. I don't think that's a thing. Uh, UFC 300 actually looks like it will be the biggest card in a while, even better than 299, since we don't know the main event yet. Tell us three fights you want to see the most. Is he DDP? Is he uh, Pereira? Or uh... oh, Connor Nate? <laughs> I mean, dude, can you imagine if the UFC 300 main event was Connor Nate 3? How fucking jazzed up you would be? Oh my God, dude, you'd be like, you'd be supersized for that, would you not? Come on now. Of course you would. Are you expecting prices to go up with the new ESPN Fox Warner Brothers streaming service? Yes. I bet they're going to claim that by pooling their resources, prices can go down. I don't believe that. What's your PR's SBD? Oh, squat bench dead. All time. I mean, all time. I don't even know. I can say what I did more recently. So I'm a sub 600 puller, but I've gotten pretty close um, all time. But um, today on the sixes, now I'm an old man now, right? So like, understand where I've been. The last six, no, that's not quite true. So the last four months, no, five months, the last five months, I've done nothing. That's not totally true, but mostly I've only done stuff for like bulletproofing my joints or trying to fix all the imbalances, right? Shoulder, left hip, left knee, right ankle, right? So I haven't done hardly any lifting until the last two months. Um, so today, for five sets of six controlled reps, I did 100 pounds in each hand. So I feel like I could go much higher than that if I was like maxing out. I don't know, and that was on incline. That was on incline. So... Um, I feel pretty good about that, but I have a long way to go. Um, my all-time squat, I don't even know what my all-time squat is. I've squatted over four. I couldn't even tell you anymore. I've, I haven't squatted heavy in, Jesus. I don't remember the last time I tried to squat heavy. I couldn't tell you the last time I tried to squat heavy. I do not know. Um, I squatted yesterday, goblet squatting. Um, my buddy is a... Um, my buddy has a passes. You guys ever heard of the gym Equinox? You guys ever heard of this gym? It's like a super fancy gym. Too fancy if you ask me. Like it's like I don't even want to use the shit because it's too nice. And we were doing sets again, same thing, sets of five, six reps each, and I had a hundred pound uh, kettlebell, and I did was able to do that. And I fucking I burned those out no problem. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm at these days. Uh, but I don't I don't have I haven't deadlifted in. Couldn't tell you the last time I did it. Pandemic. Thoughts on four to five hundred for UFC nosebleeds? I wouldn't pay it. Um, I mean, your value proposition could be different than mine. I, I, I couldn't justify that. You know. 
Joe says, is it at all possible that the reason you feel you will not be back on JRE is that you expose the corruption? It's not corruption. That's not the right word. The fighter pay potentially jeopardizing his employment with UFC. I don't think I in any way jeopardized Joe's employment. I don't think I could even do that if I tried. But I, if I had to guess, and that's just what it is, a guess, I'm going to guess my advocacy of fighter pay probably didn't help me. Uh, over time, could BM... And by the way, but I want to be clear about this. I've not talked to Joe about it, so I could be wrong. You know. Over time, could BMF make its way up to heavyweight and stay there forever? I certainly hope not. I mean, I don't mind if it goes up there, but I don't want it to stay there. I feel like it will, even though it's been moving down only so far. I, I, it should move around. It should move around. Have you heard of Red Modern Money Mechanics about how money is created exponentially? Uh, you mean like MMT? How do you feel about a UBI? I'm pretty in favor of it. Also wanted to second that you should listen to the... I think these are metal bands that he's mentioning here. So uh, UBI, Universal Basic Income. Um, there's a book by Annie Lowry called Give People Money. You guys can read it. I know what people think. You give people money, you're going to get inflation. It really depends on what kind of program you do that for and for what kind of population you do that for. There are ways, of course, in which you can make a big mess of it. But in general, what they have found, and the, 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 the research on this is pretty unequivocal, in these pilot programs, which typically involve some kind of aggrieved population, single mothers, poor people, whatever, sometimes it's in developing nations, sometimes it's just here in Estados Unidos, if you give them a stipend for a certain amount of money, uh, for a certain amount of time, so you give them two grand extra with no strings attached, right? You can spend this however you want, and you watch what they use it on. Yes, there are cases where people do it to buy lottery tickets and booze and everything else, um, but what you typically find is that people um, are able to find are able to pay for baby formula. They are able to establish savings accounts the first time. They're able to get car repairs. They're able to actually use it in ways that both contributes money back into the economy, right? They're paying for services or goods, but also brings stability to their life. There is a, there's economic research that has shown that um, economic anxiety, like how am I going to pay my bills? Not like we're, you know, these people are taking our jobs. I don't mean that. I mean, like, I don't know how I'm going to make it to the end of the month. I don't have enough money. And what this does to rational decision-making, it impairs it over time. It actually cognitively impairs it. This has been measured numerous times as well. I am, there are, it's it's the same kind of argument with anything else. It's, oh, I'm in favor of UBI, but what does that mean? How much money? For who? How was the program constructed? Who administers it? All of these questions, you can develop a program and get it completely wrong. But in general, am I in favor of, uh, of uh, assisting um, aggrieved communities in, with these particular kinds of treatments. Yes, in general I am. Volk's low kick will play a big part with Ilya's bladed wide boxer's stance. Um, yes, big time. It will play a huge role. Absolutely. Both to touch and go, both to set up other attacks, both to set up or to prompt a blitz, uh, all kinds of ways it will be effective. Yes. Given the emotional, physical, and mental shit fighters go through, all while having media love, you one moment, then shitting on you the next. Izzy is an example. You'd be sensitive too, no? So, yes. Yes, you would be. But the problem is you get it even in cases where that's not at all what's happening. So, like, to your point, I mean, imagine having to go through and talk to media and then they're killing you 
and even though you're winning and and then they're talking about your your private life and or whatever like just saying dumb shit about you you know and then you know what does that do to you yes there's obviously ways that's going to corrode your trust in them it's going to negatively impact you you would be sensitive here's the problem you can get prelim guys who have never experienced any of that and they can be as or more sensitive about it in the end it is not it's 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 a feature not a bug you have not the sensitivity per se but what they're doing to themselves to steal them in such a way that it ends up making them 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 sensitive so like what you're saying is oh after these experiences don't people have a right to feel that way sure but then you would have to ask, well, then why do people who've experienced in this particular job none of these things or very little of these things, why do they have the same degree of sensitivity, if not more? And what it begins to tell you is that there's something innate about the, the occupation that, that in, not, not universally, but widely creates some of these circumstances. Michael says, what are your thoughts on how the Teofimo fight goes? BCCBS article is great. Yeah, I recommend it. Also love watching the Caribbean series right now. Why does Colombia not care about their baseball like their neighbors? Dude, it's weird, man. Like, if you go to Bogota or places or Bogota, places around it, like, they don't give a fuck about baseball. And then you go to the coast and they care a lot more. It's much, much bigger there. But it's just not, I mean, dude, that's just, bro, they care about soccer there. They don't get, I mean, I'm just telling you what I've seen. They just care about soccer. They don't really give a fuck about much else. Um, we'll get back to the question here. Thoughts on how the Teofimo fight goes. I think he's going to look good. I really do. I hope he does. I like I like his style. Um, I think it goes the distance. I think Ortiz is tough. And I think Lopez is going to have, it's going to be nip and tuck early, and then he's going to pull away late. That's kind of how I feel about it. All right, on the, um, will Conor McGregor fight in the UFC in 2024? 53% said no. Holy shit. Holy shit. You're probably right. You're probably right. ESPN MMA floated an idea for Aspinall Pereira for UFC 300 main. Are they seriously suggesting Alex should move up a weight class to fight for a vacant belt? Seems risky, but I do see him. I don't know if they're the only ones who floated. We've been talking about it on this live chat for a, quite a long while. Uh, but either way, dude, if they don't have another possibility, like, <laughs> going to have to get creative. At this point, what is your ideal realistic UFC three hundred? We've been over this one already. Again, any of the any of the two Izzy fights, I'd be okay with, you know. Or Connor Nate, I'd be cool with Connor Nate. How realistic that is, I don't know the answer to that. Um, this person writes, big fan, thank you. You get to trade five fighters from the UFC to either PFL or one minus Ngannou, DJ, and Eddie. Eddie, who Alvarez? What does that mean? Who do you trade for? Wait, what? You need to trade five fighters from the UFC. Okay. Um, except Ngannou, DJ. Oh, oh, I see. DK, uh, I guess you mean Eddie Alvarez too, but I think he's with BKFC at this point. Who do you trade for? I would trade for Magomed, Magomed Karamov. I would trade for Jason Jackson. I would trade for Patchy Mix. I would trade for... Let me think about that now. Vadim Nemkov. And AJ McKee. I would trade for them. Oh, and if I go going back to one, if I could substitute one of those out, um, uh, uh, Anatoly Malikin, for sure, Anatoly Malikin. Is it time that fighters make a conscientious effort into getting in, making a plan to maximize their prime years and getting out on top? Yeah, good luck. Instead of chasing legacy and letting father time tarnish what may have been an all-time career. Guys, that's just not how this works. 
getting them to collectively act in some kind of way uh, to like, oh, we're going to get together as a group and figure this out. You're just wasting your time. <laughs> Porque el tomate no toma café. Um, am I reading this right? Why does, the, why does the tomato not drink coffee? I don't, I don't know what that means. Am I reading this right? Hold on, let's go to get my translator out. What the fuck, am I missing some kind of slang here? Uh, hold on. We'll go to... Yeah, I don't know how to answer that question. I don't know. My, my, I must be missing something. Por qué el tomate no toma, ca toma café? Why doesn't the tomato drink uh, coffee? I, I don't know. I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Uh, Luke, can you assess why you believe high-level kickboxers like Tyrone Spong and Gokan Saki had such different MMA experiences from Alex Padeda and Izzy? Gokan Saki was basically washed by the time he got here and had not worked on anything. Dude... Tyrone Spong is a little bit different because he was obviously with the Black Zillions, but even then, I think he was kind of all over the place. He was taking boxing fights as well. When when Pereira made the shift, he made the shift. He just moved. And he had Glover to really help him. He had somebody, like, especially, he had a very technical guy give him direct, hands-on experience. I don't think the other guys had anything like that. I think they thought they were going to go in there and just kind of style on everybody. Uh, my subscriber question, what are the best and worst nicknames, cage names? If you could choose a nickname for yourself, what would it be? I don't have it. You guys have to figure that out for me. Best and worst. I still think the best one is the axe murderer for Vanderlei. I still believe that. The worst is like Miranda Mavericks where it's like Miranda Fear The. So her nickname is Fear The. Uh, I don't quite, uh, I don't quite get that. Let me see here. Porque toma te ah, okay, now I get it. Now I get it. Now I get it. Okay. Okay. Porque el tomate no toma café. Why does the tomato not drink? Why does it why doesn't the tomato drink coffee? Porque toma té. <laughs> because he drinks tea. Get it? Tomate, tomate. Very good. Uh, all right, Dawood, thank you. By the way, Dawood means David in Arabic. Uh, which MMA fighter's story is perfect for a movie, Connor? Didn't UFC bring Coker on after Strike Force? So they brought him on for a while, yeah, and then give him an uh, NDA. Dude, he did a great job at Strike Force. I really believe that. I thought he was. I thought he did a very good job, and they brought him on, sort of ceremonially, a little bit, but then they gave him an NDA, and he went his way. Live post-fight next week after UFC pay-per-view. You know it. Going to be there with bells on, bitches. We're back in business. Thank you, Sebastian. Any other gym pet peeves to report? Ooh, good question. First of all, let's talk about that. Number one, if your gym, I'm going to say it one more time, if your gym has a place to drag a sled, please get the fuck out of the way for your booty-blasting quarter squats. Please, for the love of God, get the fuck out of the way. That's number one. Number two, why are you wearing gloves? Take them off, Junior. Okay? Number three, please quit Please quit teabagging 
Please quit teabagging the the dumbbells. And your fucking right, your balls are right on top of the twenty fives. Like move the fuck out of the way, guy. That's another one. Let me see if I can think about another one. Pet peeves. Um, have you seen the people who? Okay, you got. If you have a dog, right, and your dog goes and pisses, like I have a like Barbus, right? He'll go and piss or on the ground, and then he'll wipe his legs behind him, almost like a bull, you know, like he's throwing like shit behind him and do that. Have you seen these people who get on the on like the stairmaster on like the slowest possible fucking setting? And then they bend over and then they kick their legs out off each contraction, off each like step in the slowest way possible. It's like, guys, you're not doing anything. Upright your posture, turn the intensity up, and just work harder. You fucking idiot. Hmm? Hmm. That's another one. Um, people who sing at the gym, shut the fuck up. Like this is not this is not the mass singer. This is not American Idol. I'm not interested in what's on your headphones. I don't care. Please stop. I don't I don't need to hear any of this. Please stop. Uh, I could go into the old man like old man just show, just the balls out, just walking around with their balls out. That's an old common one. I'm trying to think of some other ones that really kind of get on my nerves. Um, I'm not big. I don't really care people are dropping weight per se. I don't care about people like if you know if you don't do your reps correctly that's just your that's just your cross to bear you know people who don't do the eccentric they just kind of like race through it doesn't bother me because it doesn't affect me I don't really care I'm trying to think about something else I will say this there are people who apparently are quite lonely and then the only way to like have interaction with other people is to like make a scene at the gym so there was this one guy recently who was, he went to the, you know how like you can get to like the, the two weighted stacks. So if you want to do like cable crossovers, you can do them or you can just individually work the cable stack. And then there's like a pull-up bar right in the middle. He was doing muscle ups on the pull-up bar, which is fine. He was strong. Uh, but then he muscled his way up and then sat on top of the whole apparatus looking around the gym for like 15 minutes. You know, and then like doing like weird fucking whatever he, like shit he was doing up there. I'm like, dude, get the fuck down and go find a friend. Because you're being distracting to the rest of the gym and nobody likes it. Okay? Okay. Very good. Are you at all following in the UFO story? No, I'm not. Again, I, I'm not in any way denying the possibility of any of this stuff. But no, I'm not closely following that. What causes you more pain? Being a fan of Pantera when Phil Anselmo is a known one. Is, is it, I, thought he re, I thought he rescinded all of this. Or being an MMA fan. Ooh. So I did think, I thought he rescinded all of that. I've, that's my understanding. I know he had his issues, but. Day to day, probably the MMA thing. But like, obviously what Phil has espoused previously is pretty gross. Why is it that American sports seemingly never got such a passionate and partly violent ultra hooligan scene like Europe or South America? There's too many different kinds of sports here. Like one thing I've really noticed is, and people are going to disagree with this if they've not been to the States, but I'm telling you, I've never seen a country that's as sports crazy as the United States. And to your point, oh, well, no one, no American fan has the same kind of passion as like a Boca Juniors fan in Argentina. That's true. That's true. But, like, how many sports are big in Argentina? You know what I mean? Like, there are some. It's not just soccer. But it's not that many relative to the United States. I don't think people really understand how big shit is here. 
right? I mean, just my high school alone had, uh, dude, in the United States, you can go professional in, in virtually anything. And with college sports, just the college sports industry alone makes it separate from like European universities or even South American universities and what that does to that age cohort. Like what is the European equivalent of, you know, 110,000 people filling a stadium to watch amateurs play essentially between Michigan and Ohio State? It doesn't exist. Dude, fucking women's softball airs on television here. There's like a whole industry around it. There's a whole industry around cheering. There's a whole like competition cheering. Ice skating has a giant, and now I realize that's some other parts of the world too, of course, but I'm just saying like there's uniquely American things like American football and then like kind of cheerleading is sort of uniquely American. And then there's an, all this other stuff. There are so many sports at so many televised monetized levels for so many different kinds of athletic profiles, genders, sizes, you name it. There, it is infinite here relative to other countries, which seem to have like one national passion and a couple other ones that they throw along with it. Dude, the United States is like, is the most sporting obsessed place I've ever seen. So that kind of dilutes it. So, that, and also like, you know, Manchester United would never just move to like Brighton or Bolton or whatever the fuck. Like they would never do that. Like it stays there. Here it's like, oh, well, they were, dude, I grew up, it was the St. Louis Rams. Now it's the LA Rams. So that's part of it too. Like there's a certain kind of transience to it all. But I cannot, I cannot overstate to you how sport crazy the United States is. The United States is. It's unlike any place I've ever seen from at every fucking level. Like, oh, I've seen kids at 14 years old who are at quarterback camps. I know what you might say. Oh, well, for European soccer, you get that too. Right. But then you have the same kind of camps for soccer here, same kind of camps for hockey, same kind of camps for collegiate wrestling. How about collegiate wrestling? High school wrestling. Just, I mean, I can go on and on. Women's field hockey. On and on and on and on and on. You cannot imagine how many sports are popular here to varying degrees, obviously. How many have money behind them? How many have some kind of institutional support behind them? How many you can go pro in? It's crazy. So that's why like sports contracts here are big. Like ESPN, you know, getting the rights to all of these different competitions. It can You can fill up a network all day long, multiple networks all day long. Dude, there are Division I bowling teams here. Division I bowling airs on Fox Sports. I'm not making that up. That's real. I've never seen any. I've, been, I've, I've traveled all over the world. I have seen places obsessed with sports more than the United States. I have never seen them cast as wide a net into so many different sports as the United States. I don't think I've ever seen a place do more than us. Uh, Austin, there you go. What's up, buddy? Hunt versus Bigfoot one. One of them, I had to watch that fight through my fingers. I was out right there. I had to watch that fight through my fucking fingers. One of the best heavyweight fights you'll ever see. Super fun. A masturbation joke. All right. Very good. Hey, there's a, what does he say? The Vince McMahon allegations are so gross, but aren't we at least to have a little giggle at the fact that he named sex toys after <laughs> uh that's funny that's i don't i everyone's i'll say this dude like old the sexual proclivities of old dudes are both hilarious and also gross and also sad and also evil 
It's like all in one, you know? Luke, you missed my highly upvoted question. Did I? Uh, do you have a screen name like that? Let's see. Oh, fuck me. Hold on. Uh, I don't see it. Sorry, it's not showing up on my screen. Sorry, dude. Why doesn't the tomato drink coffee? To I got it. I got it. I figured it out. I figured it out. I got it. But thank you. But I got it. All right, here we go. Have you followed Roman Bravo Young's transition to wrestling for Mexico? I have not. He has a real chance to be the first Mexican Olympic freestyle medalist. Check out his YouTube channel for short uh, version, short films of his journey. So what's his name? Roman, Roman Bravo Young. Roman Bravo Young. I'll give that a look. All right, boys and girls. Thank you so much. So one more time to recap. Is this going to go up on the podcast platforms? Yes, it is. This one's going to go up. Don't sweat it. We're going to do it. 6 a.m. tomorrow. I got a great I got a great video for you guys. I'm super fucking pumped for you guys to see that one. So be on the lookout. If you haven't seen it already, you can go check out my Volkanovsky one that I put out uh, this morning. So go check that out. Hey, we're back in business, boys and girls. Bang, bang. So thank you guys so much for watching. I greatly appreciate it. And until next time, I'll see you tomorrow morning. And until then, stay frosty, bitches. I appreciate you.